You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you decided to come today. Um, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Um, this morning, we're going to kick off a new series entitled Hungry for Wisdom. Hungry for Wisdom. And so it's a series out of the book of Proverbs. And over the next coming weeks, we're going to um, address a wide range of topics um, all out of this book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written by um, a few people, but the main author was said to be King Solomon, who in 1 Kings chapter 3, God asked King Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? And he says, I want wisdom. I want the ability to discern what is right. And God says, wow, God was impressed by this and said, because you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for long life, you didn't ask for the defeating of your enemies, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you wisdom. And you're going to be the wisest person that ever lived, and you're going to be the wisest person to ever live. And on top of that, I'm going to give you all of these other things, wealth and long life, prosperity. And so just from that story alone, we can look at and say, I want to be a person who seeks after wisdom. I want to be a person who's intentional with my life about growing in wisdom every single day. And this morning, I want, we're going to talk about um, wisdom in our relationships, wisdom for relationships. But before uh, we dive into that, we're going to dive really practically this morning. But before we do that, I just want to set up the next couple of weeks um, in this series, Hungry for Wisdom. Proverbs Chapter 3, verse 13 says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Who wants to be blessed in this place? I do. It says, Blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. Man, but I believe you have to be intentional about running after wisdom, about seeking after it. It doesn't just happen upon you. Think about, for a moment, think about, Maybe the most wise person in your life. Maybe it's you, but just think about somebody else for a moment. Think about the, the wisest person in your life. Who is it that you would go to if you needed advice Maybe or, or counsel? Maybe that person has passed on. We have this image. There are certain traits and characteristics about that person. And one of those big ones is wisdom. This ability to discern, to know what is right. But I think a lot of times we feel like it's kind of out of reach to us. We imagine maybe uh, this old man with a long beard sitting on top of a mountain that people come from all over and just climb this mountain and say, tell us the meaning of life, right? So if you're you're here this morning, you have a beard, I'm sorry to say it doesn't automatically make you wise. (laughs) It could help, though. We don't know. The science is still unsettled on that one. But the truth is, is that every single one of us can grow in wisdom. Isn't that good news? Every single one of us can grow in wisdom. And for me in my life, many of the people that, I've, that have mentored me have been pillars in my life, have been people that have been older than me. Many people in, in their later years that even have since passed on. There's something that comes with age. and uh, There's something that comes with as you walk uh, in, on, this, on this earth and with God for longer, you grow in wisdom. You can grow in wisdom. But I want you to know that wisdom can transcend age. Just because you're old doesn't make you wise. I've known many people who are in their later years that are not wise. 
Just because of your age doesn't make you wise. But I've also known young people who are not wise. But when God gives us wisdom, it can transcend age. Have you heard people say, wow, they are wise beyond their years? May it be said of us, no matter our age, we were wise beyond our years. Wisdom is no respecter of age. Wisdom is no, is, is no respecter of intelligence. You might not uh, find yourself and, and think, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a very smart person. Wisdom has nothing to do with your intelligence. I've known many people who are highly intelligent and are not wise. But you spend time around kids, right, who don't seem to know very much about the world, and sometimes the most wise things come out of their mouths. Wisdom is not a respecter of your status, of your resources, your means, your reputation. You can be of great means and resources and be unwise. All throughout this book, we have a very unlikely people walking in the wisdom of God. Wisdom is available to every single one of us. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. What does he say? When we talk about the promises of God a lot. This is one of those things that... We, this is a promise of God. If anybody wants wisdom, all you have to do is ask. And then God gives it to you generously. Generously. And it, he's not, you don't have to, it's not based on your merit. He gives it generously. It's through his grace that he gives out, he gives you that wisdom. So we should all be saying, God, give me wisdom. I want wisdom, Lord. Give me more. But wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just knowing a bunch of things. But wisdom is knowledge, but also knowing how to apply it. It's knowledge coupled with experience and judgment. I've uh, learned over the last number of years of owning a house how to work on various things and fix various things. And recently I've done this project in the backyard. I'm just so thankful for the wisdom of men uh, in this church who have showed me what to do. Because, you know, I'm the type that I get pretty cavalier with those types of things. I'm like, this is going to take me about an hour, probably at the max. And then it's, you know, five days and, like, just unending trips to Menards or Ace, you know. But I'll just, like, I'll just go on YouTube. I'll just quick figure it out. Easy. No problem. One time we lived in this 150-year-old house, and I needed to plaster a wall, the ancient art of plaster. And I watched a YouTube video, and I was like, man, this guy, this is easy. This is, like, no problem at all. Apparently, it is not easy. It is very difficult. And I found that out as I'm trying to figure it out and my plaster is hardening and all these different things. There's things that, there's wisdom that you learn along the way of doing it over and over again. Failing, failing. Learning from people before you. And even these projects that I've been doing at my house, I've been so thankful for the men in this church, in this room now, who have just been so gracious to um, pour out their wisdom on these different things. It's more than just knowing the facts. Wisdom is the ability to achieve the best ends with the facts. Wisdom is the ability to make good decisions based on the knowledge available. My, my daughter asked me this week what wisdom was as we were talking about uh, this series over supper. She said, Dad, what's wisdom? And I, I, I remembered, and uh, maybe you've heard this before, but uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is, is a fruit. But wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad, right? So that's the difference. Wisdom is, is to know what to do with the facts that we have. But wisdom also implies moral goodness. 
It's the ability to choose or do what is right. Wisdom is attributed to what is right, right? We call someone who makes bad choices or do the wrong thing unwise, but wisdom is attributed to what is right. And we want to, I think we all want to do what is right. We want to do the right thing. So often we, you know, as a pastor, you hear a lot, I want to know what God's will for my life is. I want to know God's will for my life because we want to do, we want to do the right thing. And in this world, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God today. It can be in times a confusing time to live. And many things in this world can have the appearance of wisdom, but in actuality are foolishness. On the surface, they can feel virtuous and feel good, can feel right. But as God gives us wisdom and insight on these things, we realize that it leads to foolishness. Here's an example. One of the mantras of our world is, love is love. Love is love. And on the surface, you take that at face value, and that feels good. It feels, that feels virtuous. It feels right. Who am I to say what is right and what is wrong? Who am I to say, uh, to tell anybody what, what they want to love or who they want to love? After all, we don't choose what we love or who we love. And I'll say it again. I've said it a hundred times. You'll, you'll hear me say it many more times. It's not the job of the church to be the morality police of the world. But we do need to know the truth. And so worldly wisdom says love is love. You should, whatever feels good for you, whatever feels right for you, that's good. But wisdom follows that line of thinking. And we see that just because you love something doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it healthy for you. Just because love is there. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if, if you, how many of you have ever been in a bad relationship in your life? I have. Hopefully it's not your current relationship. <laughs> Before I knew Jesus, I... I I was in many bad relationships. And in those relationships, I said, I love you. I love you. And my heart was turned over to that person. I loved them. But it was dysfunctional, and it was unhealthy. It was destructive. And no matter how much I loved that person, didn't make it any better, didn't make it any more right for my life. So just because we love something doesn't make it good, doesn't make it right. So we follow the line of thinking uh, of the world, and it can lead to foolishness at times. That's why we need to know the wisdom of God. We need to know, Lord, what are you saying about this? What is your way of thinking and understanding this situation? You still with me? Awesome, I lost half of you, that's okay. We'll get you back. There's uh, various ways we can gain wisdom, like we said, from, from the Lord. Proverbs uh, Two verse six says, "For the Lord gives wisdom; from His mouth come knowledge and understanding." So we can gain wisdom from God. We can also also gain wisdom from other people, either by watching their lives, by being intentional about the questions that we ask, actually seeking people out. My younger brothers were so wise, and watching my life and seeing the mistakes that I made, the stupidity of my decisions, and decided I'm not going to make those same decisions. That was wisdom. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, 
but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to sound advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Another translation says that in the end you will be counted as wise. And I don't know about you, but I want to be counted as wise at the end of my life. So we can get wisdom from, from God, from other people. We also can get wisdom from life experience. There's circumstances in our life where God will just give us the gift of wisdom, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But God will also give us opportunities for wisdom through the experiences that we have in this life. Perspective coupled with humility will give us wisdom. I've known people in my life who have been learning the same lesson their whole life. They keep repeating the same mistake, the same mistake over and over, and that is foolishness. The Bible describes that as foolishness. But wisdom says, looks, looks back with perspective and humility and says, this is where I missed it. I'm not going to make that mistake again. God help me. God help me. And that is the place I want to live. Awesome. So this morning, what I really want to talk to you about is, is wisdom for relationships Wisdom for relationships. Uh, this is a pretty big deal for us because many of the issues that we face in our life, many of the problems that we have involve other people or are as a result of other people. Think about the different things that you face in your life. Most all of them have involved other people. As a pastor, people come to see me um, often and they, they're not coming with, because they have a lot of weeds in their garden. They're not coming because they're having car problems. They want, most of the time they're coming because they're having issues with people in their life. Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe it's their, their kids or coworkers. They need wisdom. Say, God, give me wisdom. And so that's why the Bible has so much to say with how we treat each other, what we say to each other, how we talk. The Bible has so much to say about it. So this morning I want to give us some, some wisdom for relationships. So this is not just marriage. It's not just for your relationship with your kids. Um, this is for every relationship in your life. And these are things that I, like a lot of things, had to, le- had to learn the hard way. <laughs> I learned the hard way. But this is for your neighbor, your, your coworker, your best friend, your kids, your grandkids, your parents. Wisdom and insight. Because we, we can't avoid conflict. Conflict is going to come in your life. And so for many of us, we want to hide our head in the sand and just ignore it and hope that it goes away. But it doesn't. And actually, that will do more damage. So we can't avoid it, but we need wisdom on how to navigate it. So this morning we're saying, God, help us. Give me wisdom on how to deal with the hurt, the offense, the disagreements. Help me not to make an enemy, father, of a person I disagree with. So Proverbs 18, verse 19, this is going to be our main scripture for the morning says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a citadel. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Notice it doesn't say impossible. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. And so this morning, I want to give you some really practical wisdom on how to eliminate as many barriers and obstacles as we can. So it's not impossible. We experience a lot of unhealth in relationships because there's an inability to communicate. 
There's a lack of, there's a breakdown of trust. If I share my heart, is it going to be shoved back in my face? Is it going to be used against me at a later date? I can't share my heart safely. I can't find healing or resolution. What happens a lot of times in families is there's a, a disagreement and there's an explosion and people yell at each other and then it's over and then everyone just kind of pretends that it didn't happen. And so we go on kidding ourselves that, you know, everything's fine. Nobody's yelling anymore. That's the indicator. Nobody's yelling anymore, so everything must be fine. But what happened is there was, there was a wound that happened on the heart. And so the next time there's conflict, you're looking through it from the lens of the previous hurt. And I've seen over and over again, people built up hurt, built up hurt, built up hurt for years and years and years of built up hurt. So we look, through the wor- we look at the world through this lens of hurt. So how can we make things right? As believers, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be peacemakers, to walk in humility. So how do we make things right? And we're going we're gonna to go through that this morning. But before we can even make things right, I believe you have to get your heart right before you can make it right. So I've got six things, and I, I'm, I'm not overstating this this morning, but these have been life, six life-changing things for me. Like I said, I had to learn the hard way. That these have, these have saved me hours and hours and hours of unnecessarily difficult conversations, arguing, hurts. So here they are. Number one. We have to remember that the first, uh, the main mission of your life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is to become more like him every single day, to glorify Jesus with your life, to walk worthy of the calling that he's placed on you. And so if that's true, you need to ask yourself, do I want to be more like Jesus? Do I want to be more like Jesus? And if I were to ask this, everybody in this room, I'm sure most of us would raise our hands, do I want to be more like Jesus? We'd say Yes. But it would be like many of the people that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, I'm not sure what you know what you're saying. You haven't counted the cost. So we could say, do I want to be more like Jesus, even if it means the dying to myself, the laying down of my pride, the laying down of my desire to always be right, Do I still want to be like Jesus? Proverbs 26 verse 20 says, It takes fuel to have a fire. A fire dies down when you run out of fuel. So quarrels disappear when the gossip ends. Add fuel to the fire and the blaze goes on. So add an argumentative man to the mix and you'll keep strife alive. Gossip is so delicious and how we love to swallow it. For slander is easily absorbed into our innermost, innermost beating. Man, this morning, if, if you struggle with gossip, I'm, I'm begging you, please, just take that to the Lord. If that's something you struggle with, you don't need to tell anybody else about it, but take that before the Lord. Gossip is destructive. Gossip is d- divisive. People will not trust you if they know that you're a person of gossip. So if you struggle with gossip, just take that before the Lord. But even more so than that, I believe that gossip starts in that place of heart, of what goes on in your mind. 
What is the narrative that you feed yourself on a daily basis? If someone's offended you, what, are, what, what goes through your mind and your heart about them? Do you add fuel to that fire? Or do you starve the fire so it goes out? Because it will affect your innermost being. That's why the Bible talks so plainly about bitterness and resentment. It will infect your life and infect others. Your biggest problem in your life is not other people. It's you. My biggest problem in my life is not other people. It's me. That's why I need to ask myself the question, do I want to be more like Jesus? Do I want to be more like Jesus? And if I can't answer yes to that question, there's no point in me even trying to resolve this conflict. I need to get on my face before God and get my life right with him. Because the aim of my life, the mission of this life should be that I reflect Jesus in a greater way. That I become more a reflection of his image every single day. His love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion. So if we answer no to that, then we have bigger problems But if we answer yes, I do, Lord, I want to be like you, whatever the cost, then we need to ask God to show us the ways that we are not like him. And that can be a scary question because God takes us up on it. But thankful for us, he's a gracious father. He's a gentle father. He's not harsh. He's not heavy-handed. I thank God that when the moment I gave my heart to him 16 years ago, that he wasn't just like, here's all the stuff you got to work on, buddy. (laughs) It would have crushed me. It would have crushed me. But little by little, God begins to purge these things from our hearts. That's why we we say, God, show me the ways that I'm not like you. Proverbs 21, verse 2 says, a person may think they're right, and they might think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. That's why we say, God, show me the ways that I'm not like you. And that takes us to number three. We apply the log and the speck principle. Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He uses this analogy, and he says, you're worried about the speck in your brother's eye, but you have a log sticking out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye, and then you can help your brother with the speck in his own eye, in his eye. Oftentimes we we say, once that person gets their stuff together, then I'll deal with mine. I'll figure it then I'll figure it out, right? But a person who wants to be like Jesus recognizes in humility that I have blind spots. I have things that I don't see clearly in my own life. And so when God shows me them, I don't ignore them. But I say, God, deal with this in me. I'm not even going to worry about them. I'm just, just deal with this, this, this log sticking out of my eye. I need to deal with this. And so this is how we deal with it. Number four, we confess and repent. I call this spiritual breathing. You know, when you breathe, you breathe in oxygen and you breathe out carbon dioxide. So when we confess and we, and we repent, we confess, we we breathe out all of that, that stuff that God showed us. Lord, I confess my, the pride in my heart. I, God, I confess my stubbornness that I always just have this need and desire to be right. Lord, I, I confess my quick-temperedness to you. And then we breathe in his grace, his grace that empowers us 
to do the things that we would be unable to do by ourselves, to live this life that God's called us to. So we confess it and we repent. And then number five, and this, I've got to say, has probably been the most life-changing for me. I yield my rights, my needs and expectations to God, and I take hold of my responsibilities. Yield my rights, needs, and expectations to God, and I take hold of my responsibilities. In a world that says we have to fight for our rights, we have to demand our rights, that is not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And so here, I'm, I chose my words carefully. It's yield my rights, my needs and expectations. I'm not, I'm not ignoring them. I'm not, I'm not pretending they're there. They're not there. But instead, I'm saying, God, I'm giving these things to you. These are all things that you've given me. You've, you've given me uh, rights as a human being. You've given me things and needs and desires. It's good to expect things from people in your life. That's okay. But God, I'm going to trust you with those things. I'm going to give them to you as my perfect protector, my perfect provider, my perfect father. I'm going to trust those things to you. And now I am going to take hold of what I'm responsible for. Are you responsible for what someone else says? No. Are you responsible for what someone else does? No. Are you responsible for what you say? Yes. At the end of your life, when you stand before God, are you responsible for what you do? Yes. My dad used to pound this into us as kids, and I think it was probably six years ago. When I was about 30 years old, that was when I, I finally grasped it for the first time in my life. Tony, you can't control anyone else but you. Worry about yourself. That's what my dad would say. Worry about yourself. You can't control what they do. All you can do is control yourself. And all these years, I didn't really understand it. And what a freeing thing that is. It's a really helpless place to be, to feel like you have to control what everybody else does. You are responsible for yourself and what you do and what you say. And oftentimes we rob ourselves from true resolution and conflict because we're waiting for the right set of circumstances. We're saying, well, once they start not yelling and cussing and once they stop doing this and this, then I will. Or we say, you know, they erupted and they started doing this, so, so then I did also. And so we kind of give ourselves, let ourselves off the hook, which is what my kids do. Evie, why did you hit your brother? Because he hit me first. And in her mind, she's like, well, that is right, eye for an eye. <laughs> but that's not the way of the new covenant, is it? So we yield our rights, our needs, and our expectations, and we take hold of our responsibilities. And I really believe it. It only takes one person to break the cycle. And it can be you. You can be the one. You can say, they're gonna, they can scream at me, but I'm not going to. They can try to manipulate, but I'm not going to. Proverbs says, a harsh, uh, a gentle word turns away wrath. They could try to poke, you know, there's some people in your life, they know how to get you, right? They know how to provoke you. Because say, God, give me grace, give me patience. I'm not gonna, if I need to leave the room, I'm gonna do that. But I'm not gonna blow up. Number six. We ask the Holy Spirit to help you be emotionally available and responsive. 
Say, Lord, help me to love this person like you do. Help me to see them like you do. Give me compassion for this person. Help me to see deeper than the surface level. We see this in Jesus and Zacchaeus. He sees deeper than the surface. On the surface, we see Zacchaeus is this man who is a betrayer against the Jews and his own people. He robbed them, you know. But he was this lonely existence. And Jesus sees him up in this tree. And it says, there's this word saw. And the Greek translation is Jesus sees deeper than what is at the surface. And he sees deep within him of what, what makes him up as a man. He sees here's this lonely man who has no idea who he is. And he needs a friend. So he says, Zacchaeus, hey, come on, man. I'm coming to your house today. And it changes Zacchaeus' life. Lord, help me to see past the surface on what's really there. Help me to be emotionally responsive and emotionally available. We need to care more about the relationship than we care about being right. Our stubbornness can be a huge enemy. You know, there was a time early in my marriage where my wife, she would come to me with uh, something that was bothering her, an issue that she was having or something that I did um, that she didn't like. And she would come to me with those things, and in my mind, I would think, this is not a big deal. You're overreacting. And then, with my mouth, because I was stupid, I would say, this is no big deal. You're overreacting. And I just want you to know, if you're newly married in this room, I'm going to this is worth the price of admission today, all right? If you think that in your brain, you can think that, but do not say that with your mouth, okay? <laughs> Unless you hate your life, then just keep doing it, and then your life will continue being horrible, Right? But I would say that. And then I would feel like, okay, I'm off the hook. I'm fine. I would just go on with my life. This is not a big deal. I would think, I would say to her, this is, you know, you want to talk about tragedy. You want to talk about hardship. I, I can tell you about hardship. I can tell you about difficulty. Here's some of the things that I've been through. This is nothing compared to that. And then I would one day I was spending some time with the Lord and I was praying a prayer similar to, this, similar to this. Lord, show me the ways that I'm not like you. And sometimes we can come to God with that prayer and think, there's nothing, really. What would God really point out in me? I'm doing pretty awesome, you know. This was not one of those days. I said, Lord, show me. Show me if there's any, any ways that I'm not like you. And he it was really convicted me about the way that I had been treating my wife. And he said, Tony, how many times have, when you've come with me, come to me with an issue or a struggle, something that you're facing, and maybe it even ended up being really trivial and not a big deal, how many times have I ever said, Tony, this is no big deal. You're overreacting. You're being a baby. You want to hear about pain? I can tell you about the cross. How about that? Never once have I done that to you, but instead I've responded with grace and compassion. And I tried to help you out of the pain into a better way. I thank God for that experience because it showed me that what my wife needed was a compassionate heart, one that says that I'm here no matter what, no matter what you're facing, small or big, I'm here, I'm with you. You can depend on me. It doesn't matter what's going to happen in this life. You can depend on me. If you can get to the end of those 
six things that still have a hard heart. Your, your heart isn't burning for that person. Your wood is wet. <laughs> you, need to, you need to go back and start at number one again. Because you get through those six, and all of a sudden your heart is so for that person. It's like, I want the best for them. I want to see them do well. I want to see them in freedom. I don't want to see them in this pain and this hurt. That's what I've experienced in my own life. So then how? How do we make things right? This is as practical as it gets. I'm going I'm to tell you how to apologize because people are terrible at it. Uh, we're really good at non-apologies. I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way. I'm so sorry that you're, you feel like I hurt you in some way. Sorry about that. I'm sorry that you don't have the emotional competency to make it through this situation, right? That is not an apology. Sometimes we're afraid to apologize because we feel like it's a sign of weakness. But the way of the kingdom is humility. It's humility to go lower, to go low. Showing humility in a repentant heart is a sign of strength. So we need to be one that, that does whatever we can do to live peaceably with all people. We should be the one that, that closes the gap, that says, even if they don't want to make things right, we're gonna, I want to make things right. I'm going to be the one that, that closes that gap. As a follower of Jesus, as someone who is seeking to be more like Jesus every day, that, that is what should be our heart. So here's four, the four ways you apologize. The first is this. There should be some remorse or regret for what, what has occurred. If you've hurt someone, there should be some, something within your heart that happens. Showing sorrow for the pain that was caused. I was counseling a couple once, and this is common for men, is um, the husband said, you know, I... He, he was doing things that was un- unintentionally hurting his wife. And he said, well, I don't mean to do it. It's not like I'm, I'm not trying to hurt her. And he's like, and this is the way my dad operated, is that he would do things that would unintentionally hurt, hurt his wife, but he didn't mean to. He had good intentions. So in his mind, he was letting himself off the hook because he didn't mean to do it. So because he didn't mean to, it was okay. And I said, well, you know that's wrong, right? And he said, well, yeah, yeah. I said, well, imagine I hit you with my car. I was driving down the road. I hit you with my car. And it was a complete accident. I didn't try to do it. Are you still injured? <laughs> yes. Do I, did I play some part in that, my intentions out of the picture? Yes. So do I have a responsibility to make it right? Yes. Let's go to the hospital. Our intentions don't matter as much. If there's hurt that was caused... We should be willing to do whatever we can do to alleviate that pain in our fellow human being. My daughter, she's six now, but when she was like three, um, I was driving her home from preschool, and I had my hand up on the, the seat beside me, and she, for whatever reason, took her foot and kicked the back of my hand, you know? And it didn't really hurt, you know, I could take it, but... But I said, Evie, why, why would you do that? Why would you try to hurt me like that? You need to apologize. 
you need to make it right. And she said, no. I said, yes. You need to make, you need to make, yes, you need to say you're sorry. You know, sometimes as a parent, I have to remind myself, I am a grown man, and she is a, she's a kid, and I'm a man. <laughs> she's a kid. Sometimes you have these arguments back and forth, and you have to be like, wait, I'm the adult here. Okay, I'm the adult. And we're set, the whole way home, 20-minute ride, you, yes, say you're sorry. No. Evie, you are going to say you're sorry. No, I am not. We got home, and fi- it was like, I don't even care if you mean it. Like, you're going to say the words, I am sorry. You are going to. And she's like, no. And finally, I was like, I had this moment of like, okay. And in my head, just dropped this moment. I said, Evie, do you remember the other day when we were wrestling? You know, kids love when roughhousing and throwing them around and stuff. I said, do you remember when we were wrestling and I wrestled a little too hard and you got hurt? She said, yeah. I said, what did daddy do? I came over to you and said, I said, Evie, I'm so sorry. I never want to hurt you. I never want you to be hurt. Right? I never want you to, to be hurting. I said, you don't want your daddy to hurt, do you? You don't want to hurt your daddy. And she started crying. She goes, no, I'm so sorry, daddy. <laughs> you know, it didn't help that I, to, to demand. But reconciliation can happen when we just acknowledge pain, even if we didn't, ha- even if we didn't mean to, right? We say, I'm sorry that you're, f- I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be feeling this way. Even if it was a misunderstanding, I don't want you to feel this way. So we show regret and we show remorse. The second thing we need to do is clarify the specifics. This is important in long relationships because oftentimes the issue that we're talking about isn't the current issue, but it's something that happened years prior. That's the real issue. Have you ever been arguing about something with someone and realized that you were talking about two different things? That's happened to me. It's important to clarify what it is we're actually talking about. What is the specific event that we're talking about? What is it about that event that hurt you? Again, this is hard sometimes for people who um, don't know how to express, express their emotions because they don't necessarily know. And I, I want to encourage you this morning, a good exercise, if you don't maybe know how to communicate your emotions very well, the best place to start doing that is in the safety of just the prayer closet alone with the Lord. It's just to start pouring out the, the places in your heart. Nobody's around. Nobody can hear you. Read the Psalms. This is what we see. David pouring his heart out before the Lord. We see the good and the bad. Start in that place of just pouring out your heart before God, asking God to give you wisdom and insight and discernment about why you are feeling certain things. Sometimes I've been upset about something, and I don't know why. That's why I go and ask God, God, why did this upset me so badly? And God is faithful. He shows me. He'll show you those things. But we need to clarify and be specific. And if you need to take each event by itself to make it right, then you need to do that. But it's one doing it one at a time. We can't take care of all of these different things, all of these different hurts all at once. We need to clarify and be specific about what we're actually talking about. What about it hurt? And you can help the person do that. The third is this. Just like in our relationship with the Lord, we need to repent. 
We need to repent. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to validate. We need to acknowledge their pain. Acknowledge their hurt. And that we had some part to play in that. Intentionally or not. And then we need to ask for forgiveness. And we don't say, can you forgive me? We don't just say, hey, I'm sorry about that. We say, will you forgive me? We put the power in their hands. Will you forgive me? But an unrepentant heart is a sign of a pride-filled heart. And pride is on the opposite side of the Lord. Adrian, you can come. The fourth thing is this. We need to prioritize change. We could say, yes, it happened this way, this time, but next time, this is what I'm going to do differently. I do this with my kids. I don't know about you if you've ever been short with somebody, had a bad day. I just, it happened to me once in my life. And so me and Evie will talk about that and we'll say, I'll say, Evie, I know I know I'm short with you, so next time, this is what I'm going to do differently. What is something that you think you could do differently next time? And we talk about that. But it's important that we prioritize the change so we don't just keep doing it, just keep doing it over and over again. That's how you lose trust. But you gain trust by showing credibility, by showing up, by doing what you say you're going to do, by having your actions match up with your words. So we need to prioritize change. And that's when we see resolution and conflict as people, as followers of Jesus, we need to be the ones at the, at the front end of making things right. Peacemakers, a ministry of reconciliation is what the Bible says. A gospel of reconciliation. We need to be those people who are going to say, I'm going to cross this divide and I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you. Most conflict is not, no conflict is all 100% one side. I've never seen it. But even if it's 99% the other person and 1% you, what are you responsible for? 1%. That's what God's holding you accountable for. So you need to, we need to do whatever is possible, what, as much as it depends on us to live peaceably with all people. We can stand across this place. In John chapter 13, we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet and it's his ultimate act of servant leadership. And then he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, the whole world will know that you are mine. He's like, don't just love like the world loves. Don't love like like you want to be loved, but love like I have loved. And then he went and laid down his life. And in 1 John, Three, it says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our friends. I want to be like Jesus. Don't you want to be like Jesus? And so we, got, we say, God, give me wisdom in my relationships. God, give me wisdom to discern the times in my life that I, I need to open my mouth and the times I need to keep my mouth closed, the times that I need to call somebody on the carpet the times I need to give grace Lord give me a compassionate soft heart Lord I just pray against callousness now in Jesus name God give me a soft heart towards the people in my life a compassionate heart like yours Jesus
God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Before we close this morning, I want to just give an opportunity to anyone here who needs to get their life right with the Lord. You know, when I was 20 years old, I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to cocaine. I was depressed and suicidal. And Jesus changed me and transformed my life. So I know what it's like to be far away from God. And so if you're here this morning, I want to pray with you. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you. So if you're here this morning and you'd say, Tony, I need to get my life right with the Lord. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you've had one, but it's just grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with God this morning. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Appreciate your honesty. You can put your hands down. If you just raise your hand, just pray a prayer like this in your own heart. God's looking for the laying down of your life, the surrender of everything that you are. God, this morning I just recognize that I'm far from you and that I'm just in desperate need of a Savior. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And so right now I just receive that gift of salvation that comes only by the blood of Jesus to wash away my sins as far as the east is from the west and fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit so that I might live with you for you all the days of my life walking in power and authority so Lord I just stop pursuing the things of this world and I pursue you now with every ounce of my being the best way that I know how in Jesus name Lord for every single one of us in this room God just give us a greater portion of wisdom to to navigate all the relationships in our lives Let us never be a victim of our circumstances. Let us never be a victim of offense or wear that like a badge of honor, but be one that's seeking reconciliation in everything that we do. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.